Here we are, April the 14th, 2023. A lot of things are going on in the world. A lot of things look kind of scary. Uh, shit's popping off. Shit is uh, going on all over the world. Today, April the 14th, 2023. Shit's looking scary. Shit's not looking good. Um, a lot of analysts believe that we are right on the brink of nuclear war. That's what we're going to talk about today because this is a very, 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 very important topic and something that we as Americans need to be paying attention to. Let's get right into it. A spokesperson for the family of the Louisville bank shooter says that he was seeking counseling for depression and anxiety. His family was working with him and helping him work through it, the spokesperson said. That's about the extent that they're comfortable with sharing at this point from NBC News, Louisville. The bank shooter who killed five people and injured eight others in Louisville, Kentucky, was seeing a counselor for depression and anxiety. His family was working with him and helping him work through it. Palmer is not representing the family, but is just a spokesperson on their behalf. He said he does not know how long the shooter, Connor Sturgeon, had been seeking treatment and is unaware of any medication that he may have been taking. In a statement on Tuesday, the family said he had mental health challenges and they were actively addressing these challenges. The five people who were killed were identified as bank employees. Tommy Elliott, who was 63, Juliana Farmer, who was 45, Jim Tut, who was 64, Josh Barrick, who was 40, and Deanna Eckert, who was 57. Two of the eight people who were injured were police officers. Officer Nicholas Wilt, 26, was shot in the head and underwent surgery, and he is listed in critical condition. The other officer, Corey Galloway, was grazed on his left side, the police said. Sturgeon, who was an employee at the bank, opened fire with an AR-15 style rifle during a board meeting. Officers were dispatched at 8.38 a.m. and arrived at the bank at 8.41 a.m. Police entered the building and confirmed the shooter was down at 8.45. So within seven minutes, Louisville police um, responded to some 911 calls. One of them was from from his mother. She said her son had a gun and was headed to the bank. She said she got a phone call from her son's roommate who was concerned. I need your help, she told the operator. This is um, one of the 911 calls.
suffer from such mental health concerns that they take a weapon in the public and start murdering people. We live in the wealthiest society to ever exist. We have access to great wealth. We have access to insane medical advancements. You could chop your arm off and they can grow a fucking arm in a laboratory and reattach it. Like, that's how far we've come medically. Yet, people don't know how to deal with stress to the point where they arm themselves, go kill a bunch of innocent people, okay? And we want to know society they don't understand the principle of fucking society and they think that this is acceptable because the media keeps perpetuating this bullshit
in this country. It was totally acceptable to carry rifles and shotguns and loaded pistols in public. And there was way less violence at the time. There were way less mental health issues. There were way less drug addictions. There were way less pharmacological drugs in people's systems. Um, And a lot of people say that if we just get rid of the guns, that'll get rid of the gun problem, right? Well, statistically speaking, places where firearms are banned have higher rates of gun violence. Places like Chicago, right? Places like New York City. These places have the highest crime rates in the country. Almost all mass shootings happen in what are supposed to be gun-free zones, meaning the people who look to perpetrate these crimes don't really give a shit that they're they're in a gun-free zone. If they're looking to do mass damage and cause chaos and do these sorts of things, then they don't care. They do them regardless if there are signs that say this is a gun-free area, right? They don't care about that. That's not going to stop them. That doesn't hinder them anyway whatsoever. From the Attorneys for Freedom law firm, most mass shootings happen in gun-free zones. Hey, can't you read this sign? This is a gun-free zone. After dozens of warning signs and alerts from concerned citizens went unnoticed, a shooter walked into a South Florida high school and murdered 17 people. In the wake of this traffic, tragic mass shooting, guns and gun-free zones have become quite a hot button. When was this article written? I don't see a date on this. According to crime prevention research, gun-free zones, areas where guns are prohibited, have been the target of more than 98% of all mass shootings. The staggering number is why such designated areas are often to refer are often referred to as soft targets, meaning the people who are looking to cause as much chaos and as much pain and as much suffering and as much damage as humanly possible often target these areas. These areas primarily being schools and public meeting places where there are large groups of people who these shooters know are going to be unarmed. You don't ever see a mass shooting happen at the NRA headquarters. Because everybody there most likely has a pistol on their hip. Now, this is not me saying that I believe anyone and everyone should be allowed to own a firearm. There are lots of times in my life where I don't feel as though I am in the right headspace to own a firearm, and I'm a veteran. I was trained by the military to handle weapons and how to kill people with those weapons. 
right? What does evidence say about gun-free zones? According to the Crime Prevention Research Center, gun-free zones, areas where guns are prohibited, have been the target of more than 98% of all mass shootings. This often makes them soft targets, meaning unprotected and vulnerable people. According to the Crime Prevention Research Center, only only a little more than 1% of mass public shootings since 1950 have ever occurred in a place that was not considered to be a gun-free zone. In fact, as Crime Prevention Research Center President John Lott Jr. noted in October of 2015, only two mass shootings in the United States since 1950 have occurred in an area where citizens were not prohibited from carrying a gun. Former President, former Vice President Joe Biden introduced gun-free school zone acts in 1990, and it was signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush the first for you young kids that don't know jack shit about politics and history. The act was clearly proposed with the intent to prevent mass shootings in such precious areas as schools. But the act, as this statistic proves, actually had the inverse effect. Mass shootings are a complex issue with more than one action needed to prevent them. It seems unclear why gun control advocates would hold so tight to their well-intended but ultimately dangerous gun-free zone, even in the face of such staggering reality. So we have the data. We have the statistics. We've got the data and we've got the statistics to prove that labeling an area as a gun-free zone doesn't make it safer. That if people are seeking to perpetrate violence, they're going to do that regardless of if there are signs posted that this is a gun-free zone. As someone who considers themselves a libertarian and someone who believes in personal liberty and personal, a person being responsible for their own well-being and their own safety, uh, it seems as though everyone in this country needs to have a gun to protect themselves from lunatics with guns. People will often argue that more guns don't solve the problem. More guns on the streets just lead to more murders.
so much to the point where these young people between the ages of 9 and 39 are shutting themselves in their homes and not leaving. Gee, I don't know. Maybe all of these stories of mass shootings all over the world and death and doom and gloom and the impending fucking nuclear holocaust we're about to experience, maybe that has a little bit to do with it. They often describe themselves as a lethargic person who sleeps most of the time and only eats to survive. Sounds like clinical depression. Case studies provided by the South Korean Family Ministry, an unknown 17-year-old said they started living in seclusion when they were 15 because of domestic violence. It was hard to leave the house. Even if you muster up the courage to go outside, making eye contact with people is often difficult. The authorities are now concerned that prolonged physical isolation might make these youths prone to depression and stunt their physical growth because of their irregular lifestyle and lack of nutrition. Korea is racing to prepare for a steep decline in its working age population. Experts are concerned the trend of a dwindling workforce might one day lead to a devastating imbalance in South Korea with a small base of workers trying to support a swelling number of retirees. Meanwhile, surging house prices and rising job insecurity in South Korea are heaping immense social and financial pressure on the youth generations. More than a quarter of Koreans aged 29 to 30 have been diagnosed with depression at one point in their lives. A 2019 government survey reported. Studies in 2019 and 2021 found that close to a third of South Koreans' middle and high school students considered suicide at least once because of academic stress. The $500 monthly allowance for youth shut-ins is linked to Korea's broader Youth Welfare Support Act. Other governments... Uh, handouts for teens under the act include $1,500 a year in medical expenses, $577 monthly in tuition and school fees, $277 per month in job support services, and $230 monthly for mental health services. Some youths are also eligible for $2,700 yearly to pay legal fees and $230 monthly for cultural experience. Youths can also get $230 in cash support for cosmetic surgery, which they said covers correcting scars, tattoos, missing teeth, disfigurements that make it difficult for them to interact with their peers in everyday life. So here's what's going to happen, folks. And uh, I don't know whether um, you agree with me or whether you don't agree with me. It really doesn't matter. I really don't fucking care as to whether you agree with me or not. But here's the thing. What are the big news stories right now that are going on besides, you know, the obvious um, impending nuclear doom and all of these things, right? Artificial intelligence, augmented reality, and space travel. Those are the three main things that they constantly talk about outside of trying to scare the fuck out of everybody constantly, right? So you have the media, which is funded by the government as a arm of their propaganda departments, okay? Or as it's known here in the United States, it's known as psychological warfare, 
right? So I'm going to take this pop filter off. I don't need it, and it just gets in my way. Um, so the government's response to COVID was to lock everyone in their homes. And now countries are experiencing a drastic number of young, healthy adults who prefer to be in their homes. And I can't say I necessarily blame them. Hell, I don't leave unless I have to. But pretty soon, most low-skill, low-level, low-paying employment is going to be gone, right? Because a lot of things will be automated by software, machinery, artificial intelligence, and things of the like. So there are going to be a lot of people who just stay at home because they don't have work. And right now they're saying that the unemployment numbers are looking great. I think that's all a fucking lie, but whatever. I don't know. We're having a worldwide mental health crisis. A lot of it was caused by social isolation because of COVID. There's also economic issues happening all over the world, which we're going to get into that here in just a minute, folks. We're going to get into the impending doom and gloom that's causing our youth to be so fucked up. We're going to talk about that on the next segment. I'm going to take a quick uh, five-minute break, and I will be right back. Welcome back. This is Shut the Fuck Up with Alvin Timms. I'm your host for today's show. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people think we're pretty fucking close to all-out nuclear war. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. See if I got any comments coming in. Uh, Facebook. Jeff over on Rumble says, mental health in this country is atrocious. <laughs> I agree with you, Jeff. 100%. 100% I agree with you, sir. It's a very big issue. Very big. Israel must prepare for war with Iran without the help from the U.S., says the former NSA chief. Yaakov Amador says recent tensions among the Middle East um, 
and the political landscape and shifting U.S. priorities make a deterioration in the security situation likely for Israel. Former National Security Advisor Yaakov Amador said Thursday that war with Iran is increasingly likely and Israel needs to gear up to attack without U.S. assistance. So Iran is looking at, uh, or I mean Israel is looking at war with Iran without the help of its U.S. allies, and we have traditionally been their strongest supporter in times of national outbreak. The Hezbollah head mocks IDF strikes on bananas, <laughs> claims victory in a cross-border bout. Lebanese protesters and Hezbollah got into a, a scuffle. Seems as though Hezbollah was slightly scuffed up. The f- Iran is more sure of itself. Basically with their newly found alliance with Russia, Iran is getting pretty confident in themselves and their abilities. Iran is more sure of itself. It has managed to sign a number of agreements with Arab states. The world is starting to look a lot different, according to the report. We need to prepare for war. It's possible we will reach a point where we have to attack Iran even without American assistance. Amadur, a a hawkish former general who served as National Security Council chief under Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, between the years of 2011 and 2013, said in an interview uh, with Radio 103 FM. Amadur was discussing a flare-up over the Passover holiday that saw rockets fired at Israel from Gaza, Lebanon, and Syria by groups largely seen as Iranian proxies. With all that, the chances of a deterioration are much greater. He also questioned the U.S.'s commitment to Israel's security. America is not the same America in terms of its presence, and the Iranians can see that. The U.S. has much greater problems than the Middle East. The world looks at Israel differently. Amadrir's statement came despite repeated U.S. declarations it is committed to Israel's security. And in a recent show of force last week, it broke protocol and announced that it had dispatched a nuclear-powered guided missile submarine to the Middle East to help ensure regional maritime security and stability among the increasing tensions with Iran. This is a photo 
of the U.S. Navy showing USS Florida a guided missile submarine capable of carrying up to 154 Tomahawk missiles. Um, it's based out of Kings Bay, Georgia, passes through the Suez Canal on Friday, heading towards the Middle East. In a rare move, the Pentagon released a picture of the USS Florida, an Ohio-class submarine, transitioned through the Suez Canal on its way to the Persian Gulf. U.S. normally does not disclose the locations of its submarines while they are at sea. Separately on Wednesday, uh, the Walla News site reported the IDF military intelligence has recently told political leaders that the prospect of war is currently more likely. Intelligence assessment cited in a report that tensions are expected to persist when the Muslim holy month of Ramadan ends later this month, and Ramadan is over, by the way. Um, Israel should hold off for the moment on retaliating of the recent attacks by Hamas. Lebanese terrorist group Hezbollah and the Iranian proxies in Syria. Amid a multi-front escalation of violence, 36 rockets were launched into Israel from Lebanon on April the 6th. Two people were lightly injured by the shrapnel. This is a picture of the shrapnel holes. In addition, recent days saw a rocket attack from Syria, rocket fire from Gaza, clashes with Al-Qasqa Mosque in Jerusalem's Temple Mount, terror attacks in Israel and the West Banks, and a suspected Iranian drone launch from Syria. Israel blamed Hamas for rockets, as well as volleys of rockets fired from Gaza. The Israeli Air Force carried out strikes in both Gaza and Lebanon last week in retaliation for these strikes. So we've got Israel, who is a United States ally, who we have long petitioned for Israel to become a sovereign nation, much like we did with Ukraine. We've also got the war in Russia and Ukraine and possibly China moving on another one of our allies in Taiwan. We have got three major conflicts happening all at the same time. And these are not police actions like Iraq and Afghanistan. These are sovereign nations, sovereign entities, political government powers warring against each other, three of which are our allies, and we provide support for Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine. China is warning that its carrier missiles will strike down U.S. forces before they even see Taiwan. As tensions of World War III continue to rise, Beijing's forces are conducting huge military drills around the self-governing island that it regards as part of its territory, once again raising fears of nuclear war with the U.S., which said it will defend Taiwan's sovereignty. 
This is one of their fighter pilots who is around Taiwan. This is a live fire launch of a hypersonic missile. And these are Chinese aircraft on one of their aircraft carriers right here. Um, they also deployed warships in these drills. Despite China declaring the exercises over after three days, its warships and planes are continuing to lurk around Taiwan with the aircraft carrier Shandong conducting operations just east of Taiwan. Their latest military actions show or follow President Tsang Ing-wen's diplomatic mission to the U.S., which she met with um, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in California. As it forces menace Taiwan, state media has been ramping up aggressive rhetoric. Even simulating the absolute destruction of the island by the People's Liberation Army. The forefront has been fiercely nationalistic Global Times newspaper. The Chinese Global Times newspaper, right?
military um, strategy experts and analysts to think about and to warn us. But things are heading that direction in an ever rapid and increasing way. According to AsiaTimes.com, World War II's already here. Many historians are going to look back with confusion on how idiotic the leaders of this time were. This past week will be remembered by This past week will be remembered by most historians, if anyone is even lucky enough to live through this age of self-destruction as the point of no return for the Russo-Ukrainian war. The world has treated, more likely tormented, by dueling presidential speeches, one from the <laughs> geriatric uh, overboiled bowl of oatmeal known as Joe Biden, who, per, who uh, went to Kiev to reassert his undying support for Ukraine, and uh, the other by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Neither speech was particularly reassuring. Biden promising Ukraine an additional $500 million in U.S. taxpayers' support for the besieged Ukraine. Shortly after his speech, the Pentagon hinted that it might stop slow, walking its promised, yet still not delivered, M1A2 Abrams' main battle tank to the waiting arms of the desperate Ukrainian defenders and simply hand over MBTs that are already in America's warehouse. Something the Pentagon has resisted doing when Biden administration made its initial announcement that it would, in fact, be sending MBTs. Understanding Putin's speech. The other speech came from Russian President Vladimir Putin, who spoke for a whopping two hours on Tuesday, which he reiterated his commitment to total victory over Ukraine and how the United States is ruled by Satanists and pedophiles. Wow. Putin is putting it all out there, man. He, uh... He's kind of a scary fucking guy, right? Vladimir Putin. His rise to power. How he became the new czar of Russia. Um... Putin is very much, I think, like Donald Trump, who is all about America first policy, right? Now, I'm not going to attack um, Donald Trump. I'm not going to attack Vladimir Putin. I'm not going to attack either of their personal character. Uh, because everything is readily available online. But part of the reason why this didn't happen during the Trump presidency was because Vladimir Putin respects Donald Trump as equally megalomaniac and equally as psychotic as he is. And I believe that Putin feels like Joe Biden is an incompetent, uh, geriatric, washed-up, dick bag for lack of better terminology
have a tendency to do that. America likes to play world police. He says America will bear the responsibility for their actions of giving Ukraine these weapon systems that will strike into the heart of Russia. And if Russia gets attacked by these systems by Ukraine, they will hold America responsible for it. What's more, should these weapon systems be targeted by the Russians, one can anticipate Americans will die. After all, uh, the Russian S-400 emplacements in Syria, the American long-range systems are undoubtedly staffed or maintained at least partly by Americans. Plus, there are likely American forces operating covertly in and around these long-range systems, so we can expect the Russian targeting of these systems in their surrounding environs will result in American casualties. The key takeaway from these two speeches that were delivered hours apart from each other is there's now no no hope for a peaceful deal to be reached between America and Russia. Putin made the shocking announcement that Russia was withdrawing from the Obama-era New START Treaty, which limited the number of tactical nuclear weapons that both the United States and Russia can have. Of course, the New START Treaty did not confer... Um, several decisive advantages on to the Russian side when the deal was signed by former President Barack Obama and former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev. Still, Russia has a long history of supporting a coterie of arms control agreements with the Americans going back to the heady Cold War days for Putin to pull Russia out of an agreement of which he was a... Uh, Verocious defenders should raise hairs on the backs of the necks of Washington policymakers. Yet all of these statements have done is harden Washington's zeal in blindly supporting Ukrainian proxy. Putin's decision to withdraw from the treaty speaks to the depths that he is willing to ing- willing to go to ensure that he wins the war. Thus, compromise is not possible at this rate. The only thing. Um, that would make a peace deal tenable for Russia would be if its military were decisively defeated. While the Russians have certainly taken heavy and lo- heavy losses, Ukraine has also taken significant losses. Unlike the Ukrainians, Russians can afford to keep sending hundreds of thousands of their people into the meat grinder until they simply uh, trit the Ukrainians, until Russia's larger forces bleed Ukrainian forces dry in the field and then surge over their corpses. This at least appears to be the general Russian plan. If necessary, Putin will deploy tactical nuclear weapons to ensure that his forces can accomplish the Herculean task. At this point, there's no turning back. Um, The Ukrainians have made their intentions clear since before the conflict erupted a year ago. Kiev wants complete restoration of Crimea and eventually eastern Ukraine. That, too, is a red line that, if crossed, will likely trigger Moscow into risking nuclear war. Russia cannot lose its naval base 
instead of Poland. If it does, it ceases being a major power and it is isolated from the vital Black Sea region. <clears throat> Washington is living in a pure fantasy if that so-called leadership thinks Putin is going to sit back and watch this unfold. That was the point of Putin's long-winded speech. This war is not ending. There will be no negotiation, at least not one anytime soon, or one that favors the United States. For his part, Biden made clear he is not only going to continue his support for Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his government in Kiev, Biden also tweeted on his departure from Kiev saying he had left a part of his heart there. I wish he would have left his whole heart there, but I digress. How nice. Biden is so committed to the Ukraine cause that he has thus far refused to respond adequately to the major chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio, which was dubbed by many critics of Biden as America's Chernobyl. Biden has instead lavishly doled U.S. tax dollars out to a foreign country, Ukraine, instead of fellow Americans suffering in a disaster zone, what is likely to run up his re-election campaign for president. If that doesn't show you how far Biden is willing to go for Ukraine, I don't know what will. There will be no peace in our time. Beijing is now getting involved more directly on the side of Moscow, meaning that Russia will have greater maneuvering room at a time when the West desperately needs the Russians to be isolated from the rest of the world. Why would Russia seek peace if the war is seemingly turning out in their favor? Rather than a deal being hatched, another world war is at hand, made possible by the combined arrogance and ignorance of both, of both Western and Russian leaders who've miscalculated from the very beginning to the ultimate end of this conflict. Just as the First World War, of course, there will be no victors here. If it plays its strategic cards right, though, the Communist Party of China will benefit greatly from seeing its two greatest strategic competitors, Russia and America, devour each other over a senseless border dispute in southern Europe, which is why Beijing is likely supporting Russia in its fight in Ukraine. Historians are going to look back with confusion on how idiotic the leaders were of this time. They will not. They will note that the two speeches of the Russian and the American presidents on the one-year anniversary of the Russo-Ukrainian War was the moment in which the conflict truly became a world war. What's more, they will wonder how a people blessed with so much could have been so irresponsible as to throw it away for a petty dispute. Face it. There will be no peace in our time. The recent speeches made by Biden and Putin, as well as increasing involvement of China in the Ukraine conflict, mean that war is our lot. And this is not the war the West can easily win. So we have two of our biggest competitors, two people who are frenemies, basically, or three people who are basically frenemies of the United States, Iran, Russia, and China, uh, seemingly forming an alliance to further their own agenda and their own 
needs. Um, while we're getting involved and we're meddling in their activities. So it looks to me like we're already in World War III. And there are other things that are going to come out about this. I have a funny feeling that we're the ones that destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline, which is the Russian pipeline that provides uh, crude oil to parts of Europe. And that Putin saw that as a direct sabotage. And we're also supplying uh, weapons with great capabilities to Ukraine that can strike from Ukraine into Russia and attack them on their homeland. And uh, Vladimir Putin was not a fan of that whatsoever. I hate that that's where we are. I hate that this is what's going on right now, but folks, it's here. It's here. We are in World War Three. We're in it right now. There's no denying it. We are currently um, embroiled in conflicts with three of the top 15 countries in the world at the moment. We are um, actively in conflict with three other great nations. And I do believe a lot of people are going to die. And I believe things are going to get bad for a while. Um, is this going to be the catastrophic end of humanity? I have no idea. The only thing that I can do currently is hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And that's what I hope each and every single person is doing. I hope um, you're praying for the best. I hope that you're preparing for the worst. And that if something of catastrophic nature does happen, I hope that you're ready. I hope that right now you're aware of what is going on and that you're informed and that you're somewhat hopeful for the future because um, this is a very very sensitive time not just in our country but for civilization as a whole because this could be the catastrophic event that ends our species if things are not handled very carefully if nuclear war is no longer just an option if it is the active choice of our leaders, then humanity will not survive. And it's somewhat saddening that that's where we are right now when we should be in a good place right now.
but we're not. We're here in 2023 after a two-year-long pandemic, after social unrest, after after things have seemingly beat us down for a really long time. We should be able to catch a break right now, but it doesn't seem as though we are. It seems as though we just keep getting pummeled. Um, and while I'm concerned, I can't say that I'm worried. I'm actually somewhat hopeful as to what will come. Now, we will have a few hard, lean years here, I believe, but I think that if we can make it through this, um, we will come out better as a society, will come out better as a civilization, will come out better as people. And that's going to take building communities of people. Which part of the programming they tried to force on us um, during COVID was to stay in your homes, to avoid public interactions, to not speak to other people. Um, and they tried to make you afraid of human connection and human interaction. But I do believe that if this is World War III, that may be our only savior and that may be our only saving grace is our human interaction and our communities. That may be the only thing that gets us through this. So while... I know I sound a little somber and sad and depressed about this. I'm just, I'm just giving you the facts. I'm giving you my opinion of what I think. Um, do you think we're in World War III already? Um, do you think it's as serious as I've said? Um, you can share your thoughts in the comments. You can answer the poll. You can send me a voice clip <clears throat> on Spotify. You can send me a Facebook message. You can reach out on any social media platform, share your opinion, um, and let's talk about it, you know? Uh, you're probably wondering, like, what's the logo and all this stuff. And So what I'm in the process of doing is I'm in the process of starting an independent media company and I want there to be a community of people who are okay with sharing their voices and possibly occasionally saying things that may be controversial and maybe not agreed upon by general society. Um, but in the day and age in which we live in, this is what we need. We need more independent journalism. We need more investigation investigative journalism we need more people sharing their voice speaking out when they see injustice speaking out when they see things that are wrong telling the truth and being real what we don't need is we don't need more
funded. Um, there are ways you guys can help support me financially. If you look hard enough, you can find them. I'm not really a guy to plug that necessarily unless you want that. Um, but I'm just out here doing the Lord's work. I'm doing what I feel like is my mission and my responsibility and my duty to do, which is to give the voiceless a voice to speak on topics other people are afraid of and uh, just to do my best to be 1% better than I was the day before. And that's all I really can do. My name is Alvin Thames. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow, and I hope you have the day you deserve.